Father, right now, I, I'm trusting, and I believe there's, there are some people here who are saying, God, I need wisdom. I, I really need the vision, and I can't see, and God is saying, follow me, just trust me step by step. I am with you, I am for you, and my love will surround you. So if you're in that place right now, God is with you. I just, I ask you to relax in his love and know he cares more about this situation right now than you do. He will lead you. You may make mistakes, but he will teach you. You may feel at times alone, but he is present. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I have to tell you, it is really cool to be able to pray like that after a worship set with you guys leading us. Isn't that cool? It's not like you... I just gotta say, it's not like you suffered through anything. This is one of the best bands we've got in our church, and, and thank you so much for doing that. And we really, really appreciate it. <laughs> so I also have to make this comment. We, a number of years ago, as a leadership team, with staff, et cetera, said, you know what, we don't want to be a church that just comes on Sunday and worships. We want to develop people who are worshipers. So we said, how do we start doing this? Down to our senior high, down to our middle school, and eventually down to our kids. And that happened a number of years ago, and I'm really grateful to Andrew Habeisen, who is director of worship, who has helped develop that. And, uh, and we see how God has worked there, and I'm really grateful to Shannon, who has, for the last few years, kind of helped produce this whole group and, and mentored them as well. And so I, I just am... You know, the people you see on American Idol or The Voice, you know where they most, a lot of them come from? Church. Because this is one of the places where you can learn music, but it's also one of the greatest places to learn worship. So this team that you see who plays here, they now, they will also go on and they play for our kids because we're now beginning to move down into that level and say, God, help us develop little worshipers who grow up, who then see these people playing guitar. The guy playing bass was 13. I'd, sometimes I go, that guitar is bigger than he is. <laughs> That's 13 years of life. And he's able to use those kind of gifts and talents. And because there's no junior Holy Spirit, as I've heard it said, right? There is one Holy Spirit who gifts each and every person here with gifts. Well, Thanksgiving is upon us and Thanksgiving dinners are being already have been thought of in in many cases. And I guess they take some 18 hours to prepare and they're actually consumed in 12 minutes. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Football halftime, do you know how long they take? 12 minutes. There is no coincidence there. I love Thanksgiving because it is really the dieter's holiday when you think about it. It's so filled with all this good and healthy fall vegetables, things like zucchini bread and carrot cake and pumpkin pie and just all those things that every dieter is just kind of saying, this is right up my alley. Um... I heard one interesting bit of wisdom. This guy, Mitch Hedberg, insightfully observes. If you've ever gone into the grocery store, and if you stand at the meat section and you kind of look at it, he says at times he gets a little mad and angry because you can just look and you there's turkey ham, turkey bologna, turkey pastrami. Someone needs to tell the turkey, man, 
just be yourself. <clears throat> and then we've got Black Friday coming up. And uh, because only in America, think about it, do we trample over people to get that next sale exactly one day after we have been thankful for what we already have. So we have Thanksgiving, and I'm excited about it, and I want to continue in this series. You're invited, and I want to talk about the invitational life, and I want to talk about this aspect of the invitational life that I hadn't really thought about, and maybe you hadn't. Have you ever thought about being thankful for invitations that either you have given and where you've seen some really cool things happen, or especially those you've received from someone? And you go, wow, that that made a difference. I've been reading through a number of Bible stories, but last week we concluded with this story of Paul who had come to faith in Christ when Jesus had this, this, um, where he was just confronted with this vision of Jesus and Jesus invited him to walk with him. And Paul began to do that. And Paul followed him and right away Paul used his great academic skills and his training to begin to debate, to prove to people that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ from the Old Testament scripture. And it says that he was so effective in debating that he got the Greek Jews so angry that they wanted to kill him. And his witness, his invitations weren't bringing people so much to Christ as they were getting them angry and disrupting all kinds of things. So I love this verse. Immediately after that, in verse 31, I shared it last week, it says, then the church throughout Judea, because what had happened was they saw this, the brothers or the, the believers, the, the apostles, the, the, the 11 or so at this time that came, they came to Paul and they said, you gotta stop. And they, they sent him off to a time off in Tarsus, which is in modern day Turkey, which is where Paul grew up and kind of said, you just need to go home and get marinated with the spirit of God so that he can really control your life and come back when you're ready. It was some seven to 14 years later that they came and got Paul. And it says, when they did that, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened and it increased in numbers. And so if you go on in this book, in chapter nine, verse 32, Peter kind of goes on tour. It says that he went throughout the countryside. He was given invitations to come to certain cities where there were followers of Jesus, maybe small groups of followers of Jesus, and he would go to one village to another. And as he's going, he stays at one time in a village called Lydda. And in that village, the Holy Spirit uses uh, Peter to actually heal a person who was paralytic and bedridden for some eight years, this man. He gets up and is healed by the power of God. Just a few miles up the road, there's a city called Joppa. And the, the, the followers of Jesus there, the ones who were the, the ones of the ways, which they were called in the, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, and they were there and they heard that Peter was near. And they were very concerned because they had a woman who was of great influence in their town. Her, her name was Dorcas. And she was so well known because she had such a selfless, loving heart. She was just filled with good deeds. And she would make clothes and she'd give them the to the poor and especially she she helped the widows in need and so they were all concerned because she was deathly ill they hear Peter's near they know that Peter has been commissioned by Jesus and maybe if Peter comes if he prayed for her he could heal you know see her healed so they they bring Peter to Joppa Peter comes to Joppa and when he gets there she's dead and they're in mourning and he goes up into the room where she is at where they are standing around in mourning and he does what 
what Jesus seemed to do. He, he, he took the people of no faith and he probably kept just a few in there with him, closed the door, prayed. And it says that after a little bit, he comes out and he presents Dorcas alive to them. And could you bet that news would spread everywhere about that? And that's what the word of God tells us. It happened. So Peter's there in, in Joppa. And a guy named Simon, he's a tanner. So he probably in Joppa has leather shops all over the place. Probably a fairly wealthy guy. Says, Peter, you know, you're here. Stay at my place. You probably need some R&R. Why don't you come? And, and I've got a room. And there's this view that's over the sea because it's on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful coastal town. It looks over the Mediterranean. So he invites him into his home. Peter comes to stay. And as he's there, Peter probably taking a little bit of time. It says at the noon hour, it could have been that he woke up late or it could have been that he's just a good um, Jew who practiced those noon prayer hours, went up to, the, to that rooftop, it says, where he looked over, I believe, this beautiful Mediterranean Sea. And he was praying, inviting the Holy Spirit to guide him and to lead him and to work through his life. And as he's praying, he has this vision, three visions, same vision over and over again of these, these, these foods that Jews were not supposed to eat according to dietary laws. And, and, and every time God says in the vision, eat it. And, and he says, no way. And, and the whole point of these visions is that God says, if I say it's okay, it's okay. Now, what you have to understand is just a few miles again up the road in a town called Caesarea, Caesarea named after Caesar. So it was the place where it was kind of the the military, political capital in that area. So if the Caesar came, he would stay in Caesarea. He he really didn't want to be in Jerusalem, the capital of, of all this Middle Eastern Drama, so he would stay in Caesarea, and we're told. So you, you, so you have Peter. He's up on the roof. He's having these visions. Now you guys got to rewind because in Acts ten, we come to Acts ten, um, following Acts nine. Acts ten begins, and it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And so these a few days before, there's this guy who's just such a pagan Gentile, the worst of the worst, because he's a soldier. And yet he had a heart for God. He was called a God-fearer, a God-seeker. And he was inviting God to work in his life. He was trying to understand. He would go to the synagogue and he he was seeking to understand this true God. And we read in verse 2 that he and his whole family were devout, God-fearing, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius did what you and I would do. He stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. And he is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants. Listen, a devout soldier and one who is one of his attendants. And they also sent another one along because in a minute you'll see that he actually three went. But he called those two, gave them orders. He told them everything that had happened and they sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day as they were on their journey approaching the city, now catch up to this where we're at, Peter went up to the roof to pray. 
He's seeing these visions and God says, you know what, these dietary laws, these things that made you distinct as a Jew are no longer going to be the things that make people who follow me distinct. In fact, they'll be just what Jesus had said. He said, you will know. You'll know those who are those who follow me by what? What's the mark? By love. Because I'm no longer just coming to the Jews to to help them understand the glory of God. I'm coming to every person in every neighborhood in every place. And I'm going to mark them if they're open to it, if they're humble heart, to a work of my Holy Spirit in their life and to begin to transform their character that they might become loving people. Loving dads and moms and loving parents to families. Now I'm going to ask you to stand because this is the only interactive part of the message, okay? Acts 10. I ask you to read this with me, okay? <clears throat> Let's read it together. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon... Three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Let's pray. Father, speak to us in these moments, we pray. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Peter invites them in. They share Cornelius. This is what's going on with Cornelius. Peter accepts an invitation. Catch this. He accepts an invitation to travel to Caesarea up the coast to another beautiful, bigger town. And we read in chapter twenty, uh, chapter 10, verses 23 through 27, the next day Peter started out with him and some of the believers from Joppa went along. And the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called them together, his relatives and close friends. Now, Cornelius, you have to understand, Peter is probably one bit, a little bit afraid going to this Roman soldier. What's up? You know, they heard, am I in trouble? I think the soldier knew that not only God was in this, but he also knew he had the authority to call him to come. So he, he, the following day, he arrives in Caesarea Cornelius, was expecting to call them together, his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. All kinds of people were invited. Cornelius had invited his relatives and his close friends and as a good Jew, he speaks to him and says, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not supposed to be associated with you, but it's pretty obvious. This is more than coincidence that God is at work. He lays out the gospel, something that a good Jew would not do to Gentiles. They receive Christ. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and it is incredible. And Peter is going, I can't believe this. Now, what I find really interesting as I studied through this whole time of this whole series on the invitation of life I find that much of the stories in the Bible revolve around, think about it, simple invitations that are given and invitations people receive. It's amazing to me how God is at work preparing hearts, working, doing this work behind the scenes, preparing all these things, and he's preparing us. He likes to use you and me. He, doesn't, he could have done this all by himself, but he said, you know, I'm going to use anybody who's going to make themselves available to the work of the Holy Spirit. And he uses those kind of people to give invitations, and he's preparing other people's hearts, and they're waiting, and they're wanting something for God to do. They're desiring him, and they get the invitation, and in graciousness, they receive it. And the, and the work of God moves forward. 
I thought that's really interesting. Think about it in your own life for a second. What I, I, I think is interesting is that your life is probably, if you kind of went back and looked at it through this lens, a series of invitations given and received. And so I thought this morning at Thanksgiving, we would just take some time and, and we would just give thanks for how God uses invitations in our lives. Right? So if you would with me, just imagine how your story would be different if some invitations weren't given. I don't know, you should let your mind think for a second. Possibly an invitation to a party where you met your husband or your wife. Or maybe you got an invitation to go to a certain college. Or an invitation to be an intern at a business, maybe through an invitation of a friend to however that worked. Or an invitation to a Bible study small group from someone. And you were maybe a little bit nervous, but you said, okay, I'll check it out, and you did it. And your life was touched and changed by God as a result. Invitations where you went to a place and at that place you developed something you didn't think would ever happen with this other person. You developed a lifelong friendship. Think about it. Is there an invitation that you are grateful to God for? And have you ever stopped and just said, thank you, God? Thank you, God. I just want you to take this morning as we head into Thanksgiving to encourage you just to take a few moments to be grateful. Say, God, thanks. I'm going to press a little bit further. Not only have you maybe said thanks to God, and you might have done that in your heart and your mind, but I want you to move a little bit further. I want you to continue to think about maybe an area or an invitation that you've received. Have you stopped to give thanks to that someone who opened the door for you? who took a little extra time, actually gave some thought to it, and through that process connected you to an experience or to a career situation, maybe to a living faith in the living God. Have you ever just gone back and just said, you know, I just, I just want to thank you face to face, write a note, send a text, send an email, and just said, you know what? I just want to thank you. Maybe God used a particular person to bring about some great good in your life. They went the extra mile. So think about it. That's all I'm going to ask you to do for just a moment to say, is there someone? Is there something that you need to give thanks to God for? It's Thanksgiving. We just rush and run and um, church should be a time to pause. And let the Holy Spirit bring up maybe a name or a face or a situation. You could be working in a place you never thought you'd be working. You could be attending this church you never thought you would probably attend a church. You could be meeting with a group of men or women and, and four years ago you go, that would have not been. The other thing I want you to think about is to give thanks and to consider this because our life are made up of invitations given and received. Think about the invitation that God has prepared. That God's prepared. What I, what I mean by this is give thanks for how God has been at work behind the scenes. 
Anyway, it just wasn't that person maybe who invited you, but God was doing a work in their life and doing a work in, in other situations. And I really believe someday we will marvel at what God has been doing when we get there and we look at a story and go, I can't believe, I thought it was just a simple yes to that person's simple invitation. And all of a sudden you see all the pieces put together like a puzzle piece and you go, wow, God's incredible. He loves me that much that he even used that really hard time in my life to prepare me for this next step. He loved me that much that he knew there was something in my character that needed to be really worked on before I could ever receive the gift he wanted to give me. Peter, Cornelius, and the whole group of relatives and friends got to see God at work behind the scenes orchestrating the whole thing. Isn't that kind of cool? We see it written in the word of God. These are the records we get to look at today. There will be a day when we are with God and with all his people that we will look at all these different kinds of records and be amazed at the miraculous works of God behind the scenes. Here's a thought when you give thought to the story of Peter and Cornelius that I would like for you to think. When God's prompting you, when God is prompting you, you can bet that he's at work in more than just your life. Think about that. Oh, it's just me, God. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to look stupid. I don't know. I don't know if I should reach out. This is really kind of a, it's, I'm going to, it's, you know, I'll take this step of faith and God's going, it's not that big. I've been doing all this stuff over here to get it ready. Who do you think you are? If the Holy Spirit is nudging you, speaking to you with this still small, quiet voice, then he's most likely nudging and leading others in this as well. I um, was aware of a ministry called Christian Union. It's a ministry to Ivy League schools and other elite schools like MIT, Stanford, Bethel, Northwestern, um, Wheaton, of course. Um, this junior, um, Alana Staffan, is, is sharing in an interview that I was reading about, and she was a member of the cadets at Cornell which is a 10-time world champion drum and bugle corps. And she went there because she wanted to be a part of it, had scholarship towards it. And she tells a little bit about her faith journey. She was a freshman and she didn't want to, so she's a drummer. She didn't want to march to the drum of a bunch of wild kids around her. She she feared the fact that she was a a very uh, people-pleasing person and was trying to figure out in her life at that point how to maybe be more bold, to really have some leadership, to, to maybe do what you needed to do. And so she was kind of looking around. She met with her academic advisor. Her academic advisor said, you know, here's a thought. Why don't you take a one-credit-hour leadership course? And so she decides to do it. She takes it and writes a paper on it. The paper's on mentoring. She gets excited about mentoring. And at the same time she's writing this paper, a friend of hers invites her to the Christian Union small group um, meeting that they had. She decides to go to this meeting. She goes to the meeting. They're talking about mentoring. And at the same time, there was a junior, her name Anna, who was wanting to mentor someone who was a freshman. They get connected up. And she's writing this in her junior year. She's reflecting back and she writes... Not only was I looking to, to, to be mentored, and not only was Anna my mentor, but she became one of the, my best friends, and the ability to learn from her example, to ask her difficult questions, to pray together through diff- tough times, has strengthened my faith and confidence. And 
she looked back at it and she said, God was working through her, my own desires. She was working, he was working through my academic advisor. He was working through a friend who invited me to this group. And then he was working through Anna who also wanted to mentor someone. That's pretty cool. So if God is in some way prompting you to invite or to receive, I'm guessing he's probably been at work in that whole situation. So I just look at it and say, go boldly. Pray about it. God's nudging. Hand out those invitations. Expect at times to be rejected. But don't stop. Give thanks also for invitations that have changed the trajectory of your life. These are the big ones. Because think about it for a second. Not all invites are the same. Some um, maybe move us a little bit. Some we don't have any realization that they moved us much at all. But some are so significant they actually change the very direction of your life. They actually changed the trajectory of your life. I was once lost, it says in the word of God, but now I was found. The apostle Paul would eventually say I'm the worst of sinners because he did not think that always until he was confronted with Jesus and saw all his pride and had to bow his knee. Some invitations change not just you, but they actually change entire organizations. So that invitation that was given to Peter to come to meet with Cornelius and Cornelius with all these other people and so they all are meeting together changed not just Peter and Cornelius' understanding of how God works and what he was doing. It changed the whole church and that whole church began to realize that God is reaching out not just beyond, not just to us, but he, he's doing away with these, these other markers and distinctions and he's saying there's only going to be one distinction. You are no different than the person around you. They are also open to receive the work of the Spirit of God so that he can can begin to generate his love into their lives and can change the very trajectory of their life like he may have changed you. And not only change you, but can change whole organizations that can be going one direction and turn because of a simple invitation. I got a story about a guy who is the current United States chess champion. Champion. He's the current chess champion. It was in Christianity Today this last time. It was his testimony. He says, um, basically, I'll kind of condense it. On a regular basis, I receive emails from strangers lecturing me about the dangers of following Jesus. And out of pity or disgust, they wonder how I, the world's second-ranked, um, world's second, so he's in America the first, the world's second-race chess player can be so weak-minded. I've been assured that identifying as an openly as a Christian will interfere with sponsorship, support, invitations, etc. Spending time reading the Bible, praying, going to church will inevitably weaken my performance, etc., etc. He said, why did he make such a risky move? He goes on to share a story that he grew up in the Philippines, that he, at six or seven years of age, began to play chess, became very good at it. By his teenage years, became one of the elite players. And by his year 16, he looked out and realized there's no way, because in the Philippines, you don't make any money for playing chess. He began depressed. He started to move down into his place. He started losing his, his ranking. And then someone reached out to him and invited him to go to an American university and actually got a scholarship for him to play on this small American university's team. And he, received, he, he, he accepted it and he went there and he goes there and they're paying for his tuition, his education, and then another family, because in this small American university, kind of like what we do with the Chinese students, they had host families, and one host family recognized that he didn't even have the money, he was came from such a poor background, to actually have a place to stay. He came on faith that he would have his tuition paid for, didn't know where he was going to actually stay. They invited him to his home. He talks about it, and he says, I was invited in their home, and in their home, I meet with this family. They're a Christian family. 
All in his faith. He never had any relationship with God. It was all superstition, all this other stuff. He meets with this Christian family. They invite him into their life. He, um, at one point, she's looking at him. And he's sad. And she goes, what's the problem? As they've been kind of living together, he goes, and he goes, I just won't probably ever be able to do what I want to do. And she goes, what is that? And he said, I love to play chess. And she says, well, here, it's the problem. You've never had money. You've never had a situation. You've been always fending for a place to live, to eat, da 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 We will set aside two years and let you just focus on that. And he said the great invitation was that that allowed him to springboard into the place where he is today in the chess world. But here's the biggest thing. He says the invitation to come into that family, to live with them, to watch how they love God, to watch how they went to church and how they prayed. They invited me and all that. And the greatest invitation that I ever received that has changed my life far more than a chess thing was coming to know Jesus. Because some family just said, yeah, we'll make some space. I'm going to ask you to think about three things. Giving thanks, but I'm going to ask you to show your thanks by allowing God to touch other people through you. Show God thanks by letting him use your passion. You kind of go, well, where do I do this invitation thing? Just start thinking about your passion. If you like cycling, start bike riding with someone and get some other believers to bike ride with you. If you like books, I've seen this happen, begin a book club and bring some other people who are maybe in a place where they're searching together with others and start reading books. It's amazing. I've seen people come to faith in Christ because they've read some books. If your passion's basketball, invite them to be a part of our soon-completed gym pickup game. If your passion is music or running or whatever, use it to connect people. Show thanks by letting God not only use your passion but your network of friends. I think it's really interesting. If you go through, you'll see in the scripture, there's one network of friends after another. And John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. says, look, the Lamb of God, two of his disciples, he points to him and they go, follow him. He's the guy to follow. They follow. It's two guys. It's John and Andrew, the, the two younger brothers who, after they do that, they go get their older brothers, James and Peter, which tells you something about responsibility, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, they get these, these two younger brothers who are hanging out, get their brothers and then from that, there's a guy named Philip who finds Nathaniel, both again fishermen, and then a guy, Thomas, who later comes out. Do you know seven or so of the first disciples, they believe, were fishermen? Because of the network of relationships of one person who knew another person who knew another person who knew another person. And I gotta tell you, when you start the dominoes rolling, you have no idea how God can use your network of friends. As he uses your passion, those web of relationships, and the, the other thing I just, is show God thanks by letting him use your imagination. Back in, in May, June, as a congregation, we sanctified our imagination. We said, imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Jesus. What if you used your imagination? Because we use it all the time for the vacation we're planning, the money we hope to make, the career we want to develop, the home we want to What if you said, God, use my imagination today to creatively think about ways to invite others, to bless others into a believing community of friends? I asked Tina Holverson to come and to share um, kind of a, a, a story of how God has been at work in her life. And through her life, um, back a few years ago, uh, we did a sermon series. I did one on spiritual health, and one of the things we talked about is the need for physical health and doing these things in Proverbs. And so I thought, wow, it'd be really nice to get a wellness team together. Got a few names. Tina was one of them. I asked Tina to be on the team. Tell us what happened. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I got that email back in 2012, it was really kind of like a light bulb moment. It was sort of three things. It was an invite. It was really an answer to prayer, and it was a gentle push. Because um, for months before that, I just I'd had that nudge that God was putting on my heart that somehow I was supposed to use this passion and training I had for health and fitness uh, to serve and encourage others with a faith-based perspective. Um, but I just didn't really know how to pull all that together, and I had all those questions about, could we even do something like that? And I was just stuck. So when that email came, it was really God just saying, hey, all right, let's go, and an open door to take all those swirling thoughts and just put them into action. So you began to take some of that stuff, put it into action, and I think it's kind of interesting because as that began to develop, it began to actually morph into something else. So tell us how, what it morphed into. Yeah, so the wellness team, one of the things I loved about it, we were trying to educate uh, people around their own personal health and wellness, but we were also trying to actively engage them in participating, tangible opportunities to do that. So we'd issued some challenges and some initiatives and started teaching a women's fitness class, which we're still doing. Um, so some fun things were going on. Probably about a year after we started, I was at a food packing event and I met Dick Augustine. And Uh-oh. I was, uh, yeah, right? Well, so anyway, okay. there you go, there's the story. Um, <laughs> so I started talking about the wellness team and he started talking about running and we realized we had this kind of shared vision for a running group. So we got together, talked about it a little more, and pretty soon uh, we decided we would try launching this 12-week faith-based walking running program. And that is the start of what we now call Team Perseverance. Yeah. So... So you started Team Perseverance and, and you began to do this kind of thing where you would get together and run, but you put some faith-based stuff to it. What made it so, you know, we're talking about living an invitational life, what made that so easy to invite? Sure. Um, you know, it was really, it was just centered around a really common interest. Um, so walking, running, that desire for accountability around physical stewardship, that's just something a lot of people could relate to. And it's something Dick and I were excited about, so it was just easy to say, hey, come and join us. And then there was the ripple effect. So when we went ahead and did it the next year, we were amazed. People came back. Um, even people who weren't really sure they liked running the first year. And then even better, they brought, they brought people with them. So their coworkers, their neighbors, their friends. I mean, we had entire families coming with their small kids to their grown kids. And so the age didn't matter. The pace didn't matter. The experience didn't matter. It was just, I mean, we had people who'd never done it before, people who'd run multiple marathons. So it was just a place where everybody could really belong. So you look at this picture, that was your first time you met, right? And, it, and God wasn't really helping a whole lot with the weather. At right, I was pretty sure nobody would want to come and learn <laughs> to run in the snow, but they came, they showed up, and uh, yeah, we started off from there, and then by the time we got to our fourth year, so there's some more pictures of our groups throughout the year, we even got snazzy and got t-shirts and everything, um, we had 50 people join us um, just in this last year yeah. of, of our team. So you're doing this. And God's using it, obviously, physically. How has God used this also spiritually? What have you seen happen? Yeah, you know, Dick and I just marvel every year that we have this front row seat to God at work. So there's the physical changes that happen for people, but a lot of spiritual growth, too, and sometimes a lot of both. Um, for me personally, the, the opportunity to build relationships with people that I would have never have gotten to meet otherwise um, is really precious to me. And just then to be able to walk alongside people through some difficult situations, things that really extended far beyond just a Tuesday night run. So even just, I always love it when I get to stand up here because I get to see people and all the familiar faces in different sections of the sanctuary that um, are precious connections that I had longed for. And I, you know, just came out of a simple yes to tying up people people tied up their shoes and came and joined us and joined us 
So any that's closing been thoughts on that? That you just as we kind of um, look at this whole thing, and I know that you guys are going to be starting up again next March. You're not doing it now. Right. right. It'll start at the end of March, early April. It's going to be our fifth year, so we're really excited about that. And so this is just your official invitation to come and join us. Uh, maybe it's a good year to put or to put a tennis shoes on your Christmas list to stay in. So. And we're starting early with New Year's resolutions right here. You right? get that? Right. So, so. I, I just want to say um, I'm so grateful that you accept that invitation and how cool it has been to see so many, I mean, people and touching some other churches and sports shops and other things simply because you had a passion and you brought other friends around that passion and then God has used that. Yeah. And, and thank you for the invite. Oh, you're welcome. Got it all started. So right. thank you.